Welcome to Together Apart. If you and your significant other spend a lot of time apart due to traveling or demanding schedule, this is the show for you. Dr. Christina Real is a psychologist whose husband works out of state half the year. She brings her personal experience and expertise in dealing with that reality to this show. She and her guests give you practical tools and solutions so you can navigate the unique challenges of sticking together while you're apart. Now, here's Together Apart, hosted by Dr. Christina. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Together Apart podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christina. This episode will focus on navigating difficult, highly emotional situations with your partner. Being apart often means that some significant, unplanned events are going to occur when you're apart. This episode dives into the aftermath of a particularly challenging event that occurred in our lives while Matt was traveling for business. The event was complicated by his being away and left some emotional scars that took some time to work through in the weeks following. We want to share this with you because we want you all to understand that even when communication breaks down and resentment builds, there is still a way to reconnect. You can still take the road that leads back to one another. Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month is October, and before the month ends, we wanted to share our story. We are one in four. We lost a pregnancy to miscarriage, and Matt was traveling when it happened. If you're not a parent, don't desire to be, or have never experienced a challenge in your relationship like this, that's okay. I hope you will continue to listen because this is just one of many scenarios that could produce the messy aftermath that we experienced. This episode highlights the importance of understanding yourself and how you respond when you're emotionally flooded the need to communicate and avoid avoidance when it comes to emotionally activating conversations, and the importance of recognizing when a conversation may be too big or too emotionally overwhelming to handle without professional help. This episode is much more emotionally draining for Matt and I to produce than the episodes have been in the past, and that's because the situation was very difficult for both of us. It left us with a lot of difficult times We wanted to share this with you because we felt it was so important, but the podcast will be a little bit more rough than it has been in the past because we wanted to leave it pretty much unedited. We wanted you to hear how difficult it was to talk about because I think it makes a difference in how you'll understand the process that we went through afterwards. I encourage you guys to think of situations where you were left emotionally scarred and finding it difficult to reconnect with your partner. These are some of the most difficult times to have conversations, to talk, and to find a way back to one another. So let's just get into it. So Matt, thank you for coming on and talking about this with me. Thanks for having me. The most logical place to start here is, uh, I think, to talk about what actually happened. So as I said, Matt and I were married probably about a year and a half. Um, Matt and I got married in 2013. This occurred in July of 2015, so two years almost. We had found out we were pregnant, and it was a very joyful and wonderful time. Uh, We were absolutely elated. Um, Just, I think, just told my parents a few days before. It was the week after we had made some announcements to our family and some of our closest friends. So I think that emotionally definitely... We went from like the highs of sharing the good news uh, to this situation. So that... it also provided a source of support, but um, definitely 
forced us to talk about things with many more people than I think we may have if we didn't announce it. And that, of course, is a struggle. Um, So I was a postdoctoral resident at a VA medical center, and I had just finished... um, I had just finished with a patient and obviously typical signs of a miscarriage were, um, occurring for me and I didn't know, um, I had some cramping, um, and then recognized, uh, very soon after that, that, uh, I had started bleeding and with pregnancy, for those of you who either have not been pregnant or are, are somewhat, um, unaware of the signals and signs of a miscarriage bleeding during pregnancy is it can be normal, um, but can also indicate that, that the pregnancy is, mis- is miscarrying. I then went to, I went to my supervisor and told him what was going on and immediately called my doctor to schedule an appointment. In the midst of all of that, I somehow did not, it didn't register for me that Matt was not home until I made the appointment. And I actually almost went to call him and ask him to meet me at the doctor's office and then sort of had this extremely emotionally heavy feeling that he was not going to be able to be there with me. Now, my parents and um, my in-laws and my grandparents now live uh, really close to us, but at this particular time, they did not. So I had no family. Um, I had very few friends that were in my area And I just remember having this sort of sick feeling in my stomach um, that he wasn't there. And it very shortly, for me, turned, um, turned into a lot of misplaced, now that I can have some perspective, um, but a lot of anger. And so it made the moments and uh, experiences thereafter even more lonely for me. And I ended up calling Matt and uh, letting him know what happened on the way to the doctor's office. Yeah. And and so for me, being away and and receiving this news, um, I mean, I was totally helpless. uh, I was in New York City and uh, even coming home wasn't going to fix it. Again, like to me... Yeah, I was just get home as soon as I can, but just an utter feeling of helplessness. And um, as a, I guess, a, you know, just my identity as a, as a man and an engineer, I, uh, you know, part of my personality is a, a, maybe a little bit of uh, a sense that I can usually fix things. And uh, this was one where I just knew from the first moment I can't fix this. There's nothing that I can do. And And there was a period of time here of uncertainty, right? Because I called you when I was going to the doctor and we still didn't know anything. That's right. And I, um, I had about a 45 minute drive from my job to the doctor. I remember that drive being one of the longest and one of the most contemplative drives I think I've ever had. But not contemplative in a, 
productive way, it was very difficult because I kept having the thought, I shouldn't have to do this alone. And I have to do this by myself. And that was the first sort of shift that I think caused a lot of the difficulty that you and I would experience in the aftermath of this situation. I had a lot of thoughts like, I shouldn't have to go talk to the doctor alone. I shouldn't have to um, be doing this by myself. I shouldn't have to be going through this alone. I shouldn't be this scared alone. And, you know, with the recognition now that many women do have this experience and they are alone, right? So they you know, may have different circumstances than I did. But my narrative was my husband is, we have a very good relationship. We are, um, we were in this together. I shouldn't have to do this by myself. Like this is not the cards that I had wanted dealt for me. Um, And that should, should, should was sort of uh, brewing some anger, um, even more so than uh, before. And what I can recognize now is really that that was me emotionally spiraling. I'm not the kind of person who jumps to anger. Uh, It's just not usually um, the emotion that's at the forefront for me. Yeah, um, and, and of course, like, on on my side of that, I didn't have any awareness of those thoughts, so... No, I didn't share them, which at, is another thing that's usually... So at the time, there wasn't anything that I could do to help you uh, with any of that emotion. No. And, and it was so out of character for you. Like you were saying, it's like those types of thoughts, those types of emotions and that that direction of the thoughts towards uh me or or my situation with my career at the time um was very out of the ordinary mm-hmm. you know this was early in a first pregnancy for for us so neither one of us this wasn't even on the radar yeah not even a little bit so like and i know that so many people can um who have gone through this it's something you just don't, it's not going to happen to you. And that's really what I thought. On the other side of these shoulds was, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's no big deal. It's going to be fine. Like, I'm freaking out over nothing. So I get to the doctor's office, and at this point, I don't even know that I've had a miscarriage or that I, um, I don't even know that a miscarriage is happening. I remember being in that waiting room, and And they then brought me back and I had to have a blood test. I then had to go back into the ultrasound room and I waited there. And as I'm waiting there, again, these shoulds. Why am I here by myself? He should be here. I can't handle this. All of these thoughts that as I'm now reflecting on them, really unfair to Matt because it was not his fault that he was gone. But I made it in my mind that way. And those thoughts were a lot easier for me to have than the thought that I was shattered by this, was that it utterly gutted me. And that um, I could not, uh, in those moments, identify with those emotions. 
I did not have the capacity or capability to do it. And so my mind reached for what it could handle, I guess. I distinctly remember the ultrasound technician being in there. And um, of course, they're really not allowed to say much to you. But I knew that there should be something on the screen and there wasn't. And um, I will carry the image of that blank screen forever. Of course, then you have the doctor who comes in and tells you that um, a miscarriage this early on is very common. You know, back to the whole um, I couldn't fix it thing. I just, you know, as I'm going through all the potential solutions in my mind, I'm just like, well, like, even if I could get on a flight right now, you're going to within two hours you're gonna you're not gonna be like oh yeah just wait three hours to go to the doctor no like you need to go now so it's you know i could have been even if my job didn't have me in new york i could have been uh an hour or two away locally on a drive visiting visiting a client or something and we could have had this similar thing uh some of the similar thoughts of just me not being there um for this news and uh, just to offer any help or comfort in this situation, I just was so powerless uh, mm-hmm. to to do that uh, part of my role as a husband. Yeah, and I felt that. Like I felt his. I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. And um, to add to this, <laughs> I get home from the ultrasound and I get a call from the doctor. And the doctor says that my hormone levels were sky high, which was indicative of of a possible molar pregnancy. Molar pregnancies can be quite dangerous because they can put mom at risk um, and they are not viable pregnancies and can actually be linked to like possible cancers. They also mean that you really should not try to have another child for at least a year, um, if I'm remembering that accurately. I think I think it's at least a year, and, and again, not medical advice, just uh, my memory. I was grieving the loss of my child in my house by myself, and then I get a phone call that not only have I lost that child but that I could also be at risk for um, some pretty substantial complications. And I remember calling you about that and just being in a panic. So my process of grieving was interrupted by a process of panic. And I remember being so flooded by the emotions that I felt that I could hardly process much of anything at all. And so again, feeling very short with you, I remember feeling, um, again, very angry. And um, I was just craving someone, just someone. I was on the phone with my parents constantly. I was on the phone with you pretty consistently. But um, yeah. Yeah, since neither one of us can remember how fast I actually got home, at time and in, in the whole I situ- slept alone in our house for at least one for night. at least one night. Yeah, because it was well, 
I didn't sleep because I was actually very afraid of what was happening to me and in a lot of pain. I think by the time you got home, we knew that there was a lab error and that the molar pregnancy was not a worry, which was a really relieving thing. Yeah, because the strongest emotion that I remember um, besides, you know, the, the helplessness and a little bit of that, that guilt for just not being there and, and able to do anything was being relieved that you were okay. And that was, that was my reality during, uh, and just in the short time after it was, it was all about you, you know, the, the, my biggest fear, uh, throughout the miscarriage and, and the molar pregnancy scare, was that that situation was going to leave me without you. And mm-hmm. once that risk went away, um, I I felt emotionally okay. Uh, not that, you know, the, the loss of the pregnancy was, was gone, but it certainly was something that I was able to, to grieve in, in my own process. And um, I, I felt... Like, I, I bounced back okay from it, so... And that was very different for for me. Um, so, at this point, um, Matt has come home, and we are together, and in the weeks, probably like two weeks after this happened, I was not okay. And like Matt said, he grieved very differently. He had a very different experience with what his his primary concern was. And I was reading that as not caring about the baby. And so not only were we apart physically during an extremely different, difficult experience, but it left us on completely different pages. And I remember feeling very resentful of the fact that A, you had been gone, and B, you seemed to just bounce back like nothing had ever happened yeah and and through talking about this afterwards we realized that i at this point in the pregnancy just hadn't bonded with the baby or you know the concept of the baby yet uh in the same way that you had because all the hormones and i mean it's growing inside of you it's a whole different level of emotional and physical uh connection that that occurs and that's different for every woman like even I know some of of the people that I've talked to, they didn't feel as connected. I was all in on this. I um, I was already imagining what he or she would look like. I had a very clear picture in my mind of what the pregnancy would be like, which was... But it was very real for me. And to hear and to feel that he had so quickly moved on from this, especially because I was still harboring those shoulds, um, and feeling very resentful about the fact that I had gone through it by myself, that I became quite short with you in the weeks following this. Uh, I remember not being very engaged with you. I remember being very short with you. I remember just these very distinct behavioral changes that were very unlike the way that we interacted as a couple. And as I began to notice these things, and this is where self-reflection comes in, right? So I started to notice that within myself, something had shifted, something had changed. And I think one night you 
kind of said, hey, what is going on? Um, because you had noticed it too. I did. I um, Not that I had at this point any great models for healthy grieving in my life at this point, but you know, my strategy was, you know, to give you space because it was clear that, uh, you didn't really want to talk about it. I think I tried to engage you a couple of times and, and got a little bit of the cold shoulder. So I just kept kind of moving on and saying, Hey, okay, you know, she just needs some more space. She just needs a little time to, to grieve the way she's going to need to grieve on this. Um, but it was clear to me, like you, you, up until that point, you didn't want mm-hmm. to to really do a deep dive and, mm-hmm. and talk about those emotions and everything that you were feeling. Yeah. I think it was eventually you that engaged me when when you were ready, though. Yeah, definitely. And I just want to point out that this sort of de- uh, devolvement in our communication and in our um, our style of interacting with one another included a lot of thinking errors on my part. So I was using the shoulds, shoulds, shoulds. I was doing a lot of uh, sort of minimizing and um, blaming and projecting. Thinking errors are common cognitive errors that we have in the way that we interact with um, the world around us. So I was assuming or mind reading a lot, assuming a lot of what you would be thinking and what you would be saying. Um, Mind reading is a very common thinking error and can get you in a little bit of a sticky situation. Um, I remember using that a lot. And once I I started to identify, and again, this was through a lot of self-reflection and thinking about why, why does our relationship feel not good right now? Why does, why is this happening that I realized that? I think you were gathering like through our interactions and through what you saw emotionally and, you know, me jumping back to my routine and everything. Um, I think you started to gather evidence to support some of those feelings and those thoughts that you were having. And, and, um, until you were able to say, Hey, like, I don't normally think like this, like, this isn't my normal thought pattern. That was when like, you, you threw up the white flag. I really did. This was just so different for me. It was different for us. I mean, like we, we, we kind of committed to each other early in our, our, marriage um a certain kind of standard of of communication and conflict management and when all of this happened like those those systems were what broke down and that's you know i think what i'm trying to say here is is life can throw a situation at you and your relationship that will take any of these good systems and and habits that you've developed uh, in your relationship, and it could just throw it out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have have to happen to both of you, but if if one of you doesn't want to communicate, guess what doesn't happen? Right, right, right. And I didn't. And that again is another thing that's very different for me. I'm I'm the talker. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, so obviously Matt had to travel again after this. And that was sort of, I think, the breaking point was you having to leave again. And I remember that being the catalyst of we got to figure this out because I was feeling so upset about that. And what we ended up doing was very intentionally, step by step, talking through the entire thing. And it took a lot of patience, dedication, 
and a lot of willingness to feel some difficult emotions, which I had not been ready really to feel until that point. And it was at that point that I identified just how broken and shattered this had actually left me and how much I felt not only physically alone because you were away, but emotionally alone because you had grieved so differently than I did. And it wasn't wrong. Like your experience was not wrong. It was just, you had a very different perspective and a very different process than I did. Yeah. And I think what we came to the conclusion of is, is you were so angry with me, like for that, some of that, what transpired right in the beginning and me being gone Mm -hmm. that, you know, part of that sense of aloneness was true. Right. Because it was a little bit of a choice because Mm -hmm. you, you started gathering all that evidence. Um, you went into a, a set of thought patterns that just supported, um, that you were alone mm-hmm. and you didn't let me back in until we, we were able to have uh, this deep dive into yeah. it. And then he was already gone. He was gone anyway. Why does he think he can help now? Um, he wasn't here for it. He doesn't know anything. Like these are all the thoughts that were going around in my head and it really, it was wreaking havoc. And you can see how those thoughts can really wreak havoc on our relationship and on any relationship. And it's really important to recognize those patterns in your thought process if they're happening so that you can actively engage your partner again and that's this idea of coming back together and going through a situation that happened whether it be an argument whether it be something tragic like this whether it be a loss of a job and they weren't here whether anything that may have happened or occurred that could have caused um, you to have a a breakdown in your communication or a, a, a real extreme shift in the way that you experience your relationship. This idea of coming back together is so important and there are a lot of different ways that you can do this. So either partner can initiate this process of re-engaging with one another. It can be a simple statement like, hey, I'm not over this. I need to talk about it again. Or using that really good eye language of I'm feeling X, Y, and Z. Or I I need, I want, I feel, and then express what you want and need and feel from, um, from your perspective. This becomes challenged if the other person doesn't want to. And I would encourage you, if that happens, to revisit it. But this also might be a situation where seeking someone professionally to be able to step in and facilitate the conversation might be helpful. So this is an experience where you might consider reaching out to a professional to really facilitate a, a, a conversation around a, a very hot, really hot button issue that might have occurred in, in your relationship. Yeah, and any number of different situations can you know trigger these types of emotions. It could be a death. It could be a loss of a job. It could be anything that just hits you emotionally with that type of impact. You know, like in terms of professional help, I mean, it could be reaching out to uh, the, someone at the church, uh, even a, a trusted married couple might you, that you both have comfort with can just help. Maybe if, if you're the one experiencing all the, you know, the heavy emotions and you just feel like if you start to engage uh, your partner, 
that it's going to spin off the rails. Like maybe you just need that little bit of facilitation not to like lose your lid. Um, and on, on the other side of it, you know, maybe you're that partner that was like me and you, you want to reconnect, but you can't get the person to talk about the issue. And I like to tell myself that maybe I have the skills now to, <laughs> to, to get it out of you. But I mean, like, who knows? I mean, it's, it's so variable and, and, and our emotions can be. But again, using I language, right? I feel like something's going on. I really want to be here for you. How can I help you? I'm worried about our relationship. You know, these kinds of really positive I language, it can go a long way to broaching really difficult conversations. And I think that's the point here, right? Um, when you're apart, you might experience something that is extremely challenging and either party may feel emotionally vulnerable and may be experiencing emotions that are really difficult to manage, understand, feel, all of that. Once that occurs, it's so important to be mindful of your relationship and mindful of your own style so that you can identify when there's a problem. And what does that look like? That looks like everything that I said behavioral. So I started changing the way that I interacted with Matt. I started changing, and not intentionally, obviously, but the way that I perceived myself changed. Emotionally, I had very strong shifts. Identify the anomalies in your own behavior, and that can lead you down the path to really understanding that maybe something is off, especially if those emotions are kind of feeding into some of these thought patterns that are consistent with those four horsemen that we talked about in the communication episode and lead to contentment or resentment. And I had a lot of those. And so there's the danger. If we don't address this, if we never came back together, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that we would have gotten divorced or anything, but I'm, we, we would have had a, a tough time. Yeah, we would have had to take a, a different a longer, route for sure. Yeah. One of the things that there's some of the my colleagues like to say, uh, it's actually a Mark Twain quote. It, if it's your job to eat a frog, it's best to do it first thing in the morning. And if it's your job to eat two frogs, it's best to eat the biggest one first. And like all that means is like if, if you've got an issue, you've got to handle it. You're going to have to do it. And there's a lot of avoidance that can come up around highly emotional or highly high conflict topics, right? Because it's easier to avoid it than sometimes to feel the emotion or to engage in a conversation that you, it doesn't feel good. Well, and I think a lot of people put pressure on themselves too, to go into that conflict and, and like get it just right and not make a mistake in handling the conflict. I know even today, I mean, sometimes like when we have disagreements, I catch myself saying, you make me feel oh, and, yeah. like, I, mm -hmm. I know like you can't make me feel anyways. Like I, I, I choose, <laughs> I take in what happens and, and my That's feelings yours. are mine, <laughs> but, uh, I, I still to this day catch myself like with those words, but like, if I couldn't laugh about that right. and then, then like we could never have a healthy argument or, or disagreement. So you know, when it comes to reconnecting uh, with your partner after uh, any major, you know, crisis situation, it's not about doing it perfectly. 
So don't put that pressure on yourself. It's about mm-hmm. reestablishing the the connection at all costs. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were able to do this in person, but I recognize that some of you guys might not be able to do it in person. And so some of the things you want to look for when it comes to having a, a difficult conversation or a conversation that is very emotionally activating, you want to do it in a time and a space where you can devote um, the energy to one another. And that's going to look differently for everyone. Um, but make sure you guys are on the same page about addressing the issue. Again, avoidance Avoid it. Avoid avoidance. That's something that can get you in a, a in a in a bit of trouble because if you avoid the topics or the things that are causing you to feel resentment or contentment or um, some of the other uh, dangerous roads to go down, you put yourself at risk for never getting back to it and just having those feelings sit and and stew. And you know, if you if you think of a, uh, I used to give this analogy all the time. If you think about a, a nasty gym bag or a nasty rucksack with a bunch of laundry in it, if it's sitting there closed up, it's really easy to avoid it because you're like, oh god, I don't I don't want the stink to get out. But the reality is, is that the sooner that you're able to open up that bag and throw it in the laundry and repack the bag, the better off you are. Because if that gym bag sits there with a bunch of dirty laundry in it, it's going to fester. If you have to eat a frog. If you have to eat a frog. (laughs) Exactly. So to wrap up this episode, we are one in four. And I know I said this earlier, but one in four pregnancies um, can end in loss. I want to put it out there that if any of you listening have experienced a miscarriage and feel like you can't talk to anybody, please know that you are not alone. The important pieces of this episode were really to understand that things can happen, especially if you are apart often. And now this could you know, obviously be a million different situations. You know, it doesn't have to be travel, but if you are able to reflect for yourself on on what emotions you are carrying, what emotions you are feeling, you put yourself at an advantage and you will be able to more easily think about what shifts are happening in your relationship. And the other piece here is making sure we avoid avoidance and take the opportunity to talk about things that are difficult, even when you are apart, if you have to. Um, You know, if you are apart from one another and you have to have difficult conversations, again, just make sure that space is there. Um, Make sure you're both willing and able to have the conversation at that particular time and set yourself up for success in that way. Yeah, and when the communication system that you and your partner have does break down, remember that whatever start whatever event triggered the breakdown it maybe it was one event maybe it's many small events that slowly break down your communication system whatever happens you guys can get through it and also take it from us that the two of you may experience very different emotions to that event or to the journey that you guys are on together and that's okay and that is okay. And that's that's important to remember. If you need help in having the difficult discussion with your partner. That's okay too. Thank you for um, going through this with me. You're welcome. 
Thank you for tuning in to the sixth episode of the Together Apart podcast. As always, head over to my Instagram at Dr. D-R-R-E-I-H-L, so at Dr. Real. Um, Find me on Facebook, like and share my posts. It'd be wonderful if you were able to do that. And uh, join me next week for our next episode. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to Together Apart with Dr. Christina. For more resources and information, head over to drreal.com. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and join us next time for another episode of Together Apart.